healthy growth is the story of America in much of the past century, right? Bigger is better. An ample shape keeps interest ever green. Would you rather ride a pogo stick or a full stretch limousine? Getting big is the American way, and success seems to be busting the buttons of some assumptions about the U.S. population. You've got to plan for the population you have, not the folks you see in the fashion ads. And if you were designing clothes back in the 1930s in the U.S., thin and baggy wasn't just a fashion trend, it was normal. Zip ahead to the 1960s prosperity, and comedian Bob Hope makes a joke or two about the nearly quarter of Americans who were overweight. Yes, sir, we're the sitness nation in the world. Never have so many sat while so few move. Zip ahead to the 21st century, and the overweight are well over a third of the U.S. population, making this planetary future of plump, smoothie-slogging hulks who can't even stand on their own plausible enough for Pixar's movie Wally. Hey, drink fun. Here, take the cup. Hey, take the cup. Stewards. Hello. Please remain stationary. A service bot will be here to assist you momentarily. What's that? What's going on? Please remain stationary, America. A service bot will be here to assist you. By 2030, if present trends continue, Wally will be our reality. By and large, 42% of American adults will be obese. That is a design and engineering problem as well as an often cited health crisis. No, that's not healthy growth. Well, we've got two voices in the middle of all this right now. We begin with Dr. Jen Peterson right here in the studio, urban sociologist and principal of Peterson Consulting. She worked on the Living Streets Project in Los Angeles, which is focused on improving public health through sitting, city planning. Jen Peterson, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, John. So when you know that this you know, tsunami is coming down the pike here, uh, how do you plan? What kinds of parameters change if you're assuming that 42 percent or you have to assume that 42 percent of American adults will be obese? Well, first of all, I don't assume that those numbers will will be, in fact, true. Um, if If highway planning is any indication, then so long as we keep widening cities, widening streets, widening bus seats we will have widening butts to fit in them um, and widening cars and so forth. It's, it's the, the fat man's pants phenomenon. Let them out and the fat man will continue to expand. So in fact, what I and many urban planners believe is that we in fact need to plan for a very different kind of future to build different environmental conditions around what incubates our bodies in cities. But sociologically speaking, we can't squash the uh, obese out of existence. There has to be a certain amount of accommodation as well as inspired uh, incentives to slim down, to get more exercise, to basically be more conscious of the health consequences of obesity, right? Yeah, I do think that we need transitional measures, absolutely. And um, many, many, many people suggest, and I, I agree, that we uh, we need to open alternative routes that um, encourage people out of their cars and into their skins and uh, reintroduce them to the notion that walking and riding bicycles and eating healthy food is in fact a, a really wonderful thing. That that um, there's a lot of reward in that that has nothing to do with how you look or what is your health, but actually how you feel and how you connect with other people. Um, and, and those, I think, are really wonderful transitional incentives. Those are ideas and feelings that we all share. We all want to connect with each other. 
Dr. Jen Peterson is an urban sociologist, principal of Peterson Consulting. Among the urban planning projects that she's worked on that attempt to incentivize uh, good health is the Living Streets Project in Los Angeles. Keith Davis, uh, welcome to the program. Hello, hello. So, Keith, How are you uh, doing? So, Keith, uh, in uh, 2030, 42% of American adults will be obese, according to the latest statistics. And as owner and operator of Goliath Coffins which can accommodate yeah. 400 to 1,200 pound uh, people, bodies, what, what have you. Uh, that's big business for you. Yes, it's been a, it's been a business that's been growing every year, uh, both in size of caskets and in volume. A now, bad pun, I know. But Is that a good thing? Um, are you taking advantage no. of this trend? Would you, would you rather that people were smaller? I would much rather that people would... Uh, change their eating habits, change their lifestyle, change their attitudes towards food and slim down and put me out of business. Uh, this is not a, a desirable thing to be happening to the United States or the world, actually, because we even ship overseas. Uh, obesity is not just here, it's everywhere. Keith, and we're just seeing the beginnings of it. Keith, can you describe to me when uh, you took out a tape measure and realized that the, the dimensions that you were used to were maybe going to need a, a, a rethink? Absolutely. Uh, in uh, 1985, 1980s, early 90s, uh, there was no such thing as an oversized casket. There were just uh, some companies around, casket manufacturing companies, that would just build something large, just to build a big casket. In about 1990, um, uh, my dad decided to retire and started a business uh, building caskets for larger folks because where he worked, he was getting more and more re- requirements for a large, just some big box. So he decided to try and design something that would work for these these larger caskets. In 1990, uh, my wife and I came down and joined him with this little small business that was just supposed to be something for retirement and uh, realized he had a a full-fledged business on his hands. And from 1990 to 1994, we went from 33 inches wide to 36 inches wide. And from 94 up to the present, we went from 36 inches wide all the way up to 52 inches wide. Oh, my God. Oh. Our widest casket's been 64 inches wide. Our longest casket's been 8 foot 6. Um, so we built for the unusually tall yes, as well. Yes, They're yes. not necessarily obese. But anyway, Keith, Keith can, I ask is, you, can I ask you just a question? Do you have sure, a name for sure. that product that's uh, 62 inches? Well, we, we call it a, a 52-inch casket, but we call it here the B-52. I see. Uh, Keith Davis is owner and operator of Goliath Coffins, which makes caskets that can accommodate 400 to 1,200 pounds, as you can hear, a big business these days. So, Keith, hold on there for just a second. Now, uh, we've heard a plea, uh, Jen Peterson, from uh, Keith Davis that people should not be so large at their time of death. Um, nevertheless, he has to accommodate the, the size here, and there are some realities. Um, given the fact that uh, the clip I played at the top of this segment suggested that fitness and criticism of America's uh, sedentary ways goes way back to the 1960s, 
how can we be assured that the kinds of incentives that you are contemplating are really going to turn this around when there seems to be so many incentives in the other direction? Well, we have market mechanisms and we have governance ones that um, policymakers can legislate that can stimulate a different kind of growth, a uh, growth that, that uh, suggests back towards the center, a tightening up of the country, so to speak. We have a lot of space here, but we have, uh, I think, poorly allocated it for large uh, scattering of things rather than tight-knit things. What we have on our side, though, is a global economy um, whose privileged positions actually increasingly depend on density, relationships that are tight-knit, and density of resources. Um, and that goes, at, that, that's everything from how we grow and get our food to the table to um, the kinds of connections that we make with each other to make all the stuff that, that we make. Whether so if, that's if, if people are more conscious of sharing the space, of sharing the resources, the, the sociological theory here is that people will make decisions about their own lives to possibly reduce their size, reduce their consumption. No, that's a small part of it. Um, what I'm suggesting, however, is that um, economically there are incentives to, in the same way that there are incentives to widen people out, um, companies like McDonald's, for example, if they could market unhealthy food, certainly they can market healthy food as well. That's and a challenge. Indeed they're attempting to do that. Dr. Jen Peterson, urban sociologist and principal of Peterson Consulting. Uh, Keith Davis, you want to give us a final thought here? Yes. It's not how much you eat. It's how much of what you eat. It's not how much, how many fast foods there are. It is why do you eat at your desk two bags of Pringles, for example, or two bags of chips that there's a reason why we're obese, and it's not because we're hungry. There's a reason why we're obese, and it's not because there's availability of lots of fast foods with lots of fat and sugar in them. Well, Keith, uh, we a plea, a plea for sanity from the owner and operator of Goliath Coffins, which makes caskets that can accommodate 400 to 1,200 pounds. Keith, I imagine you can slim down just by lifting some of those products. Keith, thanks so much. Uh-huh. Thank you. And thanks to Dr. Jen Peterson, urban sociologist and principal of Peterson Consulting. By 2030, by and large, 42% of American adults will be obese. And we want to get your report as well. What have you noticed getting bigger? Maybe the car you drive or dinner at a restaurant? I went to TGI Fridays for the first time in years recently. Could not believe the size of the portions. But we want to hear your stories of things that are getting larger. 8778-MY-TAKE. I'm Celeste Headley. And I'm John Hockenberry. This is The Takeaway. I'm David Remnick, host of the New Yorker Radio Hour. There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. In print or here on the podcast, The New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts.